Hey guys, Jack here yet again with the week's announcements. Sorry for the background noise, I'm recording at Starbucks, uh, although they have a surprisingly awesome playlist going on today. Anyways, the new membership program is going strong with more members of the Slack group, our members-only poker forum. Uh, we've begun tweeting a Slack post of the day, so if you follow us on Twitter at Just Hands Poker, you can get an idea of topics covered in the forum. And with the holidays quickly approaching, consider treating yourself or a loved one to a Just Hands Poker membership. Remember, you can sign up to our basic membership or our tag membership for two months free the rest of 2016 using coupon code JustHands1YR. For more details, head to JustHandsPoker.com slash membership. One other announcement, mainly to our younger audience, we are searching for some interns for paid and unpaid internship positions. For more information about the internship opportunities, follow the link in the show notes. All right, thanks again, and enjoy the episode. Uh, so how did you get your start as a mindset coach? I imagine there's no college major poker <laughs> mindset coach or even any mindset coach. So, uh, yeah. Okay, well, that that is a fair um, point and an interesting question. I have a little bit different uh, background than I think uh, many of the mindset coaches do in that a, I play poker regularly, uh, not professionally full time, but I do play a good, good amount of poker. But the second is I have a doctorate in psychology. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. Um, I actually taught at a university and one of the courses that I developed and taught was a psychology of poker course. My areas of expertise are around positive poker, uh, performance psychology, did I say positive poker? I meant positive psychology, uh, positive psychology, um, sports psychology, neuropsychology, those sorts of things. So what I try and bring to the people that I work with is clinically evidence based hacks, tweaks, you know, strategies that they can utilize. And I work around a whole lot of different areas. But one of the things that for a lot of people they're missing is just a real good understanding of how the brain operates. Because if you understand how the brain operates, then you can start learning and figuring out ways that you can optimize the way your brain operates and kind of just um, as we talked about accepting reality. One thing that a lot of people in the mindset realm, you know, worry about, particularly in poker, is bad feelings. Like there's some notion that you need to get rid of bad feelings, negative thoughts, things like that, like if you take a bad beat, whereas the reality is that your brain is not structured in such a way that you can readily get rid of negative thoughts and feelings. It's just not a possibility. But rather, so my goal is to help people understand that you can have bad thoughts and feelings and you can still learn to play correctly or take optimum lines, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I feel like there's more here, though. Uh, well, there's lots. <laughs> I, I, I personally just want to butt in that I prefer just kind of a, na a naive optimism whenever I play poker <laughs> do any other activity that Jack can attest to. So <laughs> I'll be listening skeptically, but I, but I, th I, think, I think this probably helps most people. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with optimism as long as it's not off in the Pollyanna um, realm, I think. The, the what realm, sorry? Pollyanna, you know, where it's just like rainbows and unicorns. I mean, that may be a little too much optimism. Uh, optimistically realistic, maybe, is the thing to go for. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm being a little self de- self deprecating, but it's also <laughs> it is it's a little bit true, and it's it's interesting. You know, I spent a lot of time with Jack in a lot of different contexts, and uh, it is apparent. You know, kind of the, the different ways we we approach our mental game in regards to like poker and music are two kind of main, you know, our two jobs, our two passions. Mm-hmm. Um, how much, how much do you think, you know, managing these, uh, I don't know if you would say negative feelings or, or bad feelings or frustrations, like how much do you think it is dealing with kind of like a set the way someone, I don't want to say like genetically, but you know, hmm, let me, let me, let me figure out how to phrase this question better. How much do you think, I could say, let I could me say, throw something. Yeah. Let me throw Sorry. something out at you. I'll throw something out, and you see what you think. Uh-huh. Uh, if we're just looking at it from a neuropsychology perspective, think about how the brain evolved and what it evolved to do. Your brain evolved basically to be a "don't get killed" device. So way back <laughs> in the day. If you were to come out of your cave and be like, oh, my God, look at this beautiful, the rainbows and the clouds, and it's so beautiful, you would get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. (laughs) So it was beneficial to you to be sort of worried and anxious. Oh, my God, I hope the tiger doesn't get me. I hope I get some food today. Um, You know, that sort of thing, right? So over the years, if your ancestors were the happy-go-lucky, skipping through the fields kind of ancestors, well, they probably didn't live long enough to pass on their genes. If your ancestors were more cautious and anxious and worried and things of that sort, then they probably were able to pass on their genes. So the brain has sort of evolved. And the way the brain evolved is we didn't get rid of this old stuff all this old stuff sort of resides in the the brain, um, part of the brain called the limbic system. And so, and then new brain, the prefrontal cortex and all that was kind of laid on top of it. So the brain, what I'm telling you, has a natural tendency and bias towards negativity. And in the past, that was quite helpful. Now, and today's in our current environment, we're not likely to be attacked by the saber-toothed tiger. And we worry and we get anxious over a lot of things that we really, you know, it doesn't do us any good, if that makes sense. Um, so you kind of have to understand if it, the brain from that sort of viewpoint. And that's why I say, like, you can't get rid of negative thoughts and feelings because, and, and you use the term genetics. Yes, your brain evolved that way. And so there is a certain genetic basis to it. Right, of course. And poker in particular, I think is such a such a minefield for that <laughs> for for that kind of uh, you know innate behavior. You know the structure of the game involving a lot of risk and you know having sort of built-in failure as uh, or disappointment as mm-hmm. part of the structure of the game. For me personally, I think it's really I I think cool is the wrong word. I would trust a poker player to talk to me about this stuff a lot more than a non-poker player. Do you mm-hmm. think that, uh, in terms of you know, translating this to the realm of poker, how much of sort of what I'm trying to think of the best? <laughs> it's really hard to um, articulate these types of yeah. mental game things. Like I, I realize like I have these systems and things that I do, and then trying to articulate them and think about them now. It, <laughs> a lot of respect, Trisha. <laughs> in terms, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just curious, in terms of what you advocate to poker players, uh, how much do you think is sort of just classic 
positive psychology translated to poker? Uh, and how much of it is stuff that only, you know, really a poker player would be able to understand and empathize with and, you know, help soothe or whatever's the, you know, right verb for you know, approaching those sorts of problems? I mean, psychology is psychology is psychology, right? And so if you wanted to excel at anything, there's a mindset component, whether that would be business, sports, or poker, right? Um, but I think kind of where I have a little bit of maybe an edge, if you will, is that I actually play poker. And I'm one of the only mindset coaches that actually plays poker. And so, A, I have a better understanding when a poker player is talking about, you know, long downswings, for example, because um, I've been on a long downswing before or, you know, those sorts of things. But on the other side of the coin, I think uh, I can, you know, I try and make it very understandable and very usable. And I do myself everything that I advocate for. Uh, so, you know, I talk a lot about meditation. I talk a lot about proper diet, um, you know, all the sorts of things that you can put together that are going to help your mindset. Uh, you know, and a lot of the things that I talk about directly in, impact the brain, which ultimately can lead to better or worse performance. I think in psychology or psychology poker, for example, People didn't even talk about mindset or the importance of psychology very much until fairly recently. And then it got to a point where it's really easy to get good at poker in terms of look at the amount of information and training and things like that are available now. And so what you see is a lot of people can play really good poker from that side of it. So I think as that has happened, people have come to realize that the mindset is just a little extra added something that can help set you apart and give you an edge. So I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but I hope I'm giving you, you know, at least some things to think about that or your listeners can listen that maybe you'll go, hey, yeah, you know, that's having a great mindset does not take the place of doing all the strategy, homework, technical, all that for sure. So I think that's a myth that maybe some people have. But on the other side of the coin, if there's nine great players at the table, then where is my extra edge going to come from? Well, a lot of the time it's if I can stay on my A game longer than my opponents, then that's what's going to you know bring me that edge because we're all technically sound and competent. So... So were you watching, uh, or you probably followed this year's World Series of Poker main event final table? Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, just about all of it. One night it got like really late and I was just like, okay, uh, I have to go. Oh, it was when they did the heads up and I watched till about 3.30 or 4 a.m. And then I had to call it. So yeah, I saw quite a bit of it. So I think that's probably, you know, without getting too personal and obviously uh, our listeners won't uh necessarily have the opportunity to ask you questions about their own game but it seems like there was a bit of a mental meltdown from gordon veo at the end there Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i'm just wondering like while you were watching that you know what was going through your mind if anything about you know if you could go in and 
give him a pep talk, what might you have said? I mean, uh, I was screaming at my television. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that, that's sort of a rough thing um, in the moment like that. I feel like it is better for people to work on their mental game not when you're playing. So much like you do your strategy work off table, you need to do your mindset work off table. The thing about that is, um, so mental game and mindset, at least from my perspective, is not really a pep talk. Uh, right. Not not like, oh yeah, you know, you can do it. Um, but having said that, the biggest thing with him seemed to be that he was locked into a particular strategy that was not working and he just could not, would not adjust. And I know he had great technical coaches. Uh, I think Tom Marchese was coaching mm -hmm. him. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. So from, from the technical side, I'm going to assume that that was taken care of. But maybe in their pre-work, I don't know, had they ever really considered this, uh, psychological flexibility is one of the most important things for you to cultivate as a poker player. Because as you guys, I know you know this, you've got to keep that mind open and working and always looking, you know, for an adjustment. And when something is not working, you must adjust. And then the other thing that I think we saw really blatantly in the main event was momentum. And so, so, you know, some people say, well, momentum's not a thing. And, but I believe very strongly that there is a psychology. And when you've got the momentum, it just adds to, you know, your confidence. And maybe you even take crazy risks. I don't know. You know, you having too much confidence is not necessarily a good thing either. And when that momentum is against you and you're deflated, and that's what, you almost saw with him, like you almost saw him like shrinking up and making himself smaller. And I don't know, it was just really, I was screaming at my TV, like, no, <laughs> stop. But it obviously didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gordon, if you're a listener, sorry. Uh, I don't think, I don't think he is, but. Well, he should listen because we are giving some sage advice right here. And yeah. I think he's a great player. Um, I mean, obviously, technically, he's, you know, very good and he understands poker. And But just a confluence of factors came together and, yeah, he just didn't adjust. So you said something interesting there about confidence. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you could... You know, when I hear you talking about confidence in, in terms of poker, it sort of makes me, you know, go to sort of two potential things. One that seems more realistic to me, but I wonder what you think. So one would be that confidence just sort of makes you better, you know, in every way or, you know, just improves the situation somehow for you. Uh, the the other thing that that is sort of more interesting and maybe more plausible to me is that like, you know, confidence would affect your strategy in some direct way that for most people uh, would actually lead them to a better strategy. Like for example, most people are not bluffing enough, uh, mm -hmm. but when they get confidence, maybe they start bluffing at, you know, the correct frequencies or are, you know, value betting thinly enough uh, or, you know, or thin enough that's appropriate for like what their opponent's range is when maybe they wouldn't have. So I think for a lot of people, that confidence 
would definitely improve their game uh, because the sort of timid nature is holding them back in a lot of ways. But, you know, for the, the perfect poker player, do you think, maybe not the perfect poker player, but for, you know, a very good poker player, what, what role do you think confidence plays for them? Uh, and how often do you think it's a negative? Well, there's a couple of ways to go with this. And I agree with what you said. I personally believe that confidence, the best way to gain confidence is to improve your knowledge of the game. So when you don't know what to do, that's what leads you to lack confidence in Mm. many cases. So to me, that's very important. I do not believe that just looking in the mirror and saying, I'm the best poker player in the world, I'm the best poker player in the world, garners you anything. I don't don't believe that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to have to really evaluate what I do with my students. <laughs> I mean, telling yourself I have the potential to put in the hard work to become a better poker player and then actually putting in the hard work, that is what I believe garners uh, confidence. So, But wait, yeah. tr- that sounds hard. What's the easy <laughs> fix? <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the people who are offering you an easy fix or a quick fix, they are lying to you <laughs> because that's not how it works. You know, I Except think in our us, society, increase your win rate by $20 an hour within the first lesson. <laughs> but that might be true, though, because you may be getting people who are so bad that you can tell them a few things that would increase. You didn't say increase your win rate by $1,000 or a million dollars, right? So what you said might actually be true. But... Yeah, that, a thousand is more like third, fourth lesson material. Yeah, right, that's, exactly. uh, that's <laughs> where we talk about you know how to win the main event. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, actually, getting back on a serious note, Trisha, but before you were mm-hmm. saying that, like, you know, the mental game is kind of like this little extra thing that like mm-hmm. can help you on top of a foundation of solid technical play. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm gonna kind of. I, I find it a little bit ironic that I'm disagreeing with a mental coach about this, but in my personal experience with myself and with my students, I'm going to disagree a little bit in in that I think the mental game is a, a bigger part of one's game. Oh, and, and I'll, ta- I'll one's take success. that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think something like a, you know, like we had Zach Elwood on a few weeks ago, you know, and he said, I think correctly so, that like verbal and physical tells, that's like a maybe extra 5 to 10%, maybe up to 15, 20% of like a good professional's win rate in like a really soft game. Um, but I I think the mental game can, you know, it, again, it has to go hand in hand with a technical game. But when yeah. I think about like my strengths as a poker player and, you know, what's kind of most responsible for like what my win rate is. I, I might it's it's kind of hard to quantify, but I would say my mental game and my more routine work on that compared to my technical game is more responsible for my win rate. And it's it's not like in as as a direct way as like necessarily I'm going to make this type of mistake less in the way that when you work on your technical game, you improve, mm-hmm. but more of like I could consistently put in more hours at my A or my B game or I'm more excited to study poker and play poker and put in more hours just in general because I have a good attitude about poker regardless. You know, there's I think there's all these things that, you know, really compound themselves where the mental game is really a huge part of one's play in the same way where a lot of professionals talk about how bankroll management is 80% of being a good professional and technical skills 20. I kind of see mental game as really wrapped up in that bankroll management. And yeah, I agree. Wrapped, 
So it's like kind of maybe bankroll management's number one, and then mental game, and then technical game. I was just wondering wow. how you felt felt about that. Yeah, I like I like what you're throwing down. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, and I agree with you too. Uh, the mental game is so wrapped up in everything, but I just don't want people to get the idea that you know you can chant affirmations in front of the mirror, and that takes the place of you know working on your technical skills and whatnot. So that's why I was kind of stressing that point. But at the end of the day, you are correct. You know, if you, I work a lot with clients on things like how to stop procrastinating as a good example. Um, If you're a procrastinator, then you're not going to be able to put in the volume or the study time. And so that's going to hold you back. Uh, You know, accountability is big, you know, mindfulness, meditation, diet, exercise. It's like, it's very difficult to tease out and to say what percentage each of those things is adding or subtracting if you don't have them, you know, to your overall game. So I think the wise person would definitely be attending to the mental as well as the technical. I totally agree with everything that's being said. This is, I'll just make this point, although it's a little bit less productive in terms of how to improve yourself. Zach, when you started talking about, you know, how, the mental aspect of poker makes up a huge part, you know, of the professional, uh, the professional's edge. I think beyond that, you know, mental game issues are a huge part of what make the fish, the fish. Yeah. Uh, And so I think a lot of people who just sort of play live poker probably arrive at a similar strategy and not a good strategy, but a strategy that's probably, you know, somewhat lowers variance and is not totally, totally easy to exploit. Uh, And I think a lot of what makes, you know, the big fish in the game, the big fish is even though they know that sort of strategy just from being around the game, uh, they're, they're not willing, you know, to follow it. They don't have the discipline Mm -hmm. to do what they think is right. Even though, you know, their idea of the game is, is very flawed, uh, even if they were executing their game the right way. But I think what turns, you know, sort of a bad rag into a, a big fish is often, you know, a mental game issue. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, I, I like with my students, I work on mental game issues primarily for the first few lessons, just because I think they're going to get so much more short term and lifetime value from that versus technical stuff, even if their technical game is weak. And again, you know, with a disclaimer, like, Trisha was saying it's not the you know that's not going to fix everything and that's not going to make you necessarily a winning poker player or yeah take you from a losing poker player to a winner or make you from break even to a winner especially for some of the bigger losers I think it'll make their lose rate a lot smaller in a quicker way than it takes to you know think about ranges you know it might take a few months to really start thinking about ranges in kind of an intelligent way and be able to do so at the table but it might only take a few weeks of, you know, regular meditation and goal setting and affirmations to not, to really reduce tilt at the table. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I'm really excited to hear that you are working on those issues with your clients in the first few uh, lessons, because I think that is going to help them get even more benefit from your strategy lessons. Yeah, it's also, I mean, you know, mo- most of my students now, they f- they find me or Jack through the podcast, through our site. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a self-selecting group of people that, like, if they've listened to the podcast or read the blog enough, like, 
they already are thinking about a lot of things or at least know the terms more so than maybe the average kind of poker student who is playing one two uh so it might be a little bit of kind of our sample being a little out of whack and that like everyone's going to have at least kind of like a a decent foundation in terms of technical game a decent basic foundation but then consistently kind of not not following it you know so yeah there's a few students that i play with like on a somewhat regular basis and you know stuff happens and then i kind of ask them about it after the game or you know on a break they might text me about it and i'll be like you know what were you thinking there's like yeah i know it was bad and um, (laughs) so like whenever you hear that type of stuff like oh i know it was bad or like yeah you're probably right like all i hear is just like I know what the correct play was and I didn't have whatever it is, the mental fortitude, the discipline uh, to make the right play or I wanted or a part of them wanted to make the wrong play because they had other things in mind. You know, maybe they weren't Mm -hmm. trying to maximize EV. Maybe they were trying to own someone or make a hero call. Maybe that was their first priority, you know? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's, it's a constant work. And, you know, I, I, I found, I took like a, a little over two month break from live poker this summer because living in a place where gambling is illegal and coming back, you know, I was surprised it was actually my mental game that needed, that was more, that was a little bit rustier than my technical game. Hmm, Very interesting. And not in ways that, that I thought it would be like, it wasn't like I started to tilt, but it was just like the type of focus that I'm used Mm -hmm. to having and enforcing that I wasn't doing. Um, you know, it kind of took a while to, to get back not more than a few sessions, but it was a little disconcerting that, that first session back, especially. Isn't that interesting how it can go so quickly? And I think people need to realize that mental game work is something that you always need to be attending to. Otherwise, it can slip away like very quickly. Yeah. So, so kind of in that vein, what are the type of things you do for yourself? at this point well (laughs) i do everything that i talk about my books and in my coaching videos and with clients and things like that so uh, obviously meditation i've already mentioned i'm a big believer in meditation and there's a lot of studies you know on it showing that it has benefits across a wide range uh, you know of facets of your life so that's really important um diet exercise that's all important um i'm really big on setting up goals and I'm big on an overall vision. So I think you need to like sit down and I believe everyone should do this. And I believe you need to do it regularly. And for like the next 90 days, think about what is the one major thing that I want to accomplish in the next 90 days. I like to do 90 days versus a full year just because I think it's easier to do, but most people want to let set too many goals. So you know, I teach people to do this and I do it myself. I set one major goal and then maybe one or two, you know, secondary sub goals and then actually kind of work back the plan. And so I keep lists and plans and, you know, I track progress. Tracking progress is very important. And a lot of people don't do it. Um, you know, it's just like little things that you can do. Um, I'm real big on AM and PM routines. So morning routines and evening routines. Uh, so especially around mental game, this can work out really well. So what you do is you have the most control over your day, usually right when you wake up and right before you go to bed. So if you can kind of design routines in your AM and your PM and sort of bookend your day, um, so maybe you meditate and it can even be just five minutes 
at a time, but five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. And you can work up from there. But, you know, in the evening, for example, do a digital sundown, which is where you cut off all kind of digital electronic stuff, you know, at least an hour or two before you go to bed. So it helps your brain shut down so you can sleep well. So you can like design up all these things however you want. But I do all those things myself. I write about them. I talk about them ad nauseum. But they're just like that important, figuring out what's your overall vision? What do you want? And that can be from poker, from life, you know, it could be anything, but being very specific and then really thinking about, okay, what do I need to do in order to get there and line up your dominoes? That's what I talk about, um, which, you know, doing one little thing like every day, it sets off another thing and another thing. And so you line up those dominoes and then you're just knocking them down until you you get what you want. And overall, it's just a strategy of incremental optimization, if you will, uh, that I advocate and that I do myself. This is hilarious for me to hear just because, <laughs> man, you're just talking to your Absolute A plus student here in Zach Resnick. All right, uh, all right. My my nighttime routine as of late has <laughs> has not been ideal. I've always found it much easier to maintain a a better morning routine. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that just has to do with you know varying degrees of nighttime obligations. You know, yes. So when I have the ability to be in a more regular routine. Um, and I kind of know when I'm waking up and going to sleep each day, all this stuff becomes a lot easier. The problem is there's a lot of great things that happen that are spontaneous. Uh, and the type of work that I do, which is, you know, playing and writing music and playing poker, Mm -hmm. those things generally happen at night and often aren't always like the most clearly defined things. You might only find out about opportunities a few days, a few weeks beforehand. You might be in a really good game, and I've gotten better about, you know, really prioritizing my physical well-being and just general mental health over kind of EV and not just playing really late when the game is good. Uh, but it's hard, you know, especially because at, at this current point, I don't get to play as much poker as I'd, I'd like. And I'm sure, you know, when I talk to all, all my students, they usually play less poker than me. And a big issue for them is like, well, I can only play two or three times a month so when i go i want to keep playing but they don't have the mental game chops to really play for more than three or four hours after that they're kind of just reinforcing bad habits tilting and kind of reinforcing this negative cycle so it's it it is really tough when you don't have a kind of consistent access to poker games consistency in your your schedule the other thing I would say about that, just to piggyback on that, is there's very good research that indicates that about the maximum amount of deep work that any one person can do a day is about four hours. And deep work is where you're really focused, you're really concentrating. The The brain just seems to have these physiological limits. So if your clients, they're saying they can get three or four hours in, then that's you know, they're about on par with what research suggests that we can do at our optimum focus and concentration. So for most people getting in three to four hours of really good quality, deep focused poker, that's going to be, you know, far more profitable and better than trying 
to get in, you know, 10 hours of very low quality, you know, where I couldn't focus and I made mistakes and I just, you know, reinforced those, those bad ideas. So I do want people to think about that. Yes, I understand not getting to play every single day because I don't get to play every single day where I live. And I have the added rub that I play tournaments mostly. So Ooh. there's that. But <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, just keep in mind that if you are going to try and push it, so if they do want to play longer sessions, three to four hours is probably the max. And if you want to try and stretch it out, it, you know, you can learn a little bit, I guess, but you definitely want to take breaks. You want to, you know, all that sort of helps the prefrontal cortex. So there's a lot of things you can do to maybe get a little bit more, but just do understand that there are limits to how much deep focus concentration, you know, we can put without being exhausted. I think that also might speak to sort of the importance of, you know, making sure that not only is your A game, your A game, you know, really excellent, but maybe your C game, mm -hmm. you got to put some thought, you know, into what does your C game look like? Because I know for me, I derive, I think, a, a somewhat higher percentage of my income from poker compared to Zach. So, you know, playing three to four hours, you know, a day on the days I get to play is, is suboptimal, you know. Mm -hmm. So I definitely am very, I try and be very conscious about like, at what sort of, you know, level, you know, of effort am I trying to put into this game right now? You know, there'll be times uh, where I'm, I'm trying to maintain maximum focus, uh, make, you know, the biggest exploits possible, you know, sort of try and play peak performance, I guess, your A game. And other times where I'm sort of resting mm -hmm. mentally and sort of focusing on my default strategy, which I have a lot of confidence in. Uh, and trying to play in games where I already have reads on the players, so I don't need to be as focused about, you know, continuing to make reads um, because I feel confident, you know, in my standing with other players. So I think, to me, I think if you if you would count on poker uh, and putting in volume, you know, for for part of your income, it's important to make sure that even if you're not at your peak performance, you you know, you're still happy. And you're still profitable. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I really like what you said. You're not going to be on your A game all the time. And so if you improve your B and C games, then that's going to add to your bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, I want to call you Trisha, but I feel like... Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> Trisha, thank you so much for your time. Seriously, thank this was a... Uh, Really fun for Zach and I. I think it's going to be extremely, extremely helpful for all our listeners. We haven't had a guest like you so far. I think we're maybe a little underprepared for this interview. We're used to just poker players who, you know, dime a dozen poker player. Not, not really. <laughs> I think we've actually had some really interesting guests on this show. But uh, but I, I, we are uncovering a wealth of information here. And, you know, for our listeners, really pay attention because this is the best strategy conversation I think you've heard so far. Wow, I'm I'm that honored. Was fortune. Yeah. Yeah, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me and obviously I'm a big proponent of the mental game and I'm just super excited that you guys are covering it on your show and with your students in your personal coaching. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much.